Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we got a uh, Packers preview here on the I'm My Buck podcast. I'm your host, Mike Walt. <clears throat> Thanks for watching. If you're enjoying, please subscribe, rate, and review on our YouTube channel. Appreciate all the comments. I try to get to them when I can. You can find me at MikeWalt68 on Twitter, Process to Perform on Instagram. You can get our audio version of this if you don't like watching tape. And uh, which completely kicks ass. I don't know why you wouldn't want to. But if you don't want to, pick us up on the Believe Network anywhere you get your podcast on the audio version. Our show is always sponsored by Bet Online. And the only people who don't get time off this time of year are pro athletes, not first responders, military, secret service, just pro athletes. Oh, and, and us at Bet Online, of course. With the National Football League, bowl season, and NBA in full swing over the holidays, BetOnline isn't taking a second off to make sure that you have all the up-to-second odds, news, and info. BetOnline has all the sports wagering information you need with both desktop and mobile access, so head there today in the action. Remember, use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. So the Panthers are my other kind of team I spent some time with. I spent some time with Seattle, thank goodness, after this. But it was only a, a really seven. It was eight games, but really one season. I, I blew out my shoulder for the second time. I was done. So, so I, I know both of these teams very well. The Packers are heading to Charlotte, five point favorites. This is a game, honestly, nobody's going to want to watch. Last last week in Charlotte, they were giving away tickets for four dollars. Now, when I got there, it was before Cam Newton. Cam Newton kind of made Charlotte a football town because of the interaction with the community, obviously MV, league MVP, big personality. But we had, you know, one of, one of the top defenses when I was there, they had, uh, they had Dan Morgan, they had uh, Julius Peppers, Mike Rucker, Chris Jenkins was probably the best D tackle in the league at the time. But it was really an ACC basketball town and it's turned in, it turned into a football town. Steve Smith, obviously on offense, but uh, it's a weird place. And as you watch this game, depending on the weather, these guys, if, if the Packers get up early, I'm just telling you now from experience, and, and then obviously what you saw last week, the place could be empty by the second quarter. Could be absolutely empty by the second quarter. Now, Panthers are 2-12, and 12, so there's, you know, they, they got their first win last week against Atlanta. It was like 9-7, to seven, barn burner. The, the Atlanta Falcons, by the way, run the most un-NFL-like offense that you could possibly imagine. They're in 22 and 13 personnel the whole game. They can't figure out who their quarterback's going to be. I think they're, they're starting a new one this week. The Atlanta offense was so unwatchable. In other words, I like to break down tape and kind of try to figure out how I would attack that team. And watching the Atlanta Falcons offense was, was so frustrating that – I just went back to the Saints game. So you guys are going to watch Saints tape here today instead of instead of the Falcons tape. You can watch the Falcons defense, but certainly not the offense. Um, you'd fall asleep. I just know you fall. I don't know all of you, but I'm pretty sure you'd fall asleep watching the tape because it is terrible. Path, the Panthers fired Frank Wright uh, in the middle of the season after owner David Tepper scooped him up, I think, in the middle of last season after he got fired by the Colts in the middle of the season. So I think Frank was the only coach in history to get fired in the middle of the season two years in a row. Uh, the Panthers had Matt Rule before that, who was an absolute dumpster fire. 
Uh, he got fired in the middle of the second season. And it's interesting because I remember, you know, some David Tepper took, uh, bought the team from Jerry Richardson. And Jerry was like, um, Jerry was not, Jerry was a Southern gentleman. I don't, I don't want to get into all of Jerry's things, but he was a Southern gentleman. Let's put it that way. Um, so I was thrilled when David Tepper bought the, bought the club. I thought, okay, new direction. This is great. Um, David Tepper has $70 million in unpaid head coaching salaries over the last two seasons alone. Like, in other words, he's fired two coaches in the last two seasons, and he has $70 million left to pay on those coaches' uh, salaries, the guaranteed money. Panthers have two wins this year. And they've had first-round picks, first pick in the draft, Bryce Young. Like, they have talent. The good news for Carolina is that their defense is a legitimately good defense. They have players at every level of, of, of football. Uh, Brian Burns is a dog. Derek Brown, the defensive tackle, is going to be a part of whoever's going to play right guard this year, this week. He is an absolute monster. When he when he wants to play, he's an absolute monster. Uh, Frankie LeVu at the, the second level linebacker, he's a guy that is really good run and pass. I've seen Frankie have some of the best linebacker blitz dog pass rushes this year, knocking right guards right on their backside, making people miss timing he's really really good he's good in the run game he's also really good as, as, a, as a pass rusher every down guy and then they brought in von bell uh they they've drafted a couple guys high jc horn being the first that comes to mind a 20, uh, 20 21 first round draft pick at corner but they brought in von bell from cincy to kind of shore up the back end of this defense um so they have leadership and they have experience at all levels they're a physical football team on defense the bad news is that Frank Wright's this offensive uh, quarterback kind of guru, and I remember very specifically, it wasn't what he did in in Philly when he was there. They obviously won the Super Bowl, and Carson Wentz was playing well, and then and then um, and then Nick Foles came in and they won the, the the Super Bowl. But the fall off from when Carson Wentz uh, Carson Wentz's fall off really started when Frank left. And I just, because I'm an insider with some of these teams, you find out that the way that Frank was helping the quarterback versus the next guy, like the details, the, the techniques, the footwork, things that we talk about all the time, was void when he left. So the reason I bring that up is Bryce Young being the first pick in the draft, you know, you you have this offensive guru, you bring him in, and it just, it never clicked. It, they really struggled to find their footing. Bryce Young struggles to go through his progressions. Their offensive line has taken a step back from from years from the last season before. James Campen, who's a old, former Packers old line coach, is down there. He did an amazing job last year. They've had some injuries. Um, uh, I'll get into it a little bit later. So, anyways, they fire Frank and Chris Tabor, the special teams coordinator, is now the interim head coach. They've left everybody else in place, I believe. So this is a team that even though they won with a nine and nine and seven nine to seven game last week, they're only they're, they're two and twelve. This is a very very bad football team um, that the Packers should be thinking. You know, coming off this now six and eight record, losing two straight, it feels like the Packers should be out of the playoff race. Um, there's a path to the playoffs. The Green Bay wins out, and this is a get right game. If there's ever a get right game on your schedule this late in the season, this is a get right game. But the Packers, in order, to, in order to get right, the Packers have to figure out, at least defensively, how to stop offensive teams from either 
running for 200 yards, which which Carolina would be happy to do, or having a, a perfect quarterback rating. The last two weeks, and I know this is you know small sample size, but you look at the entirety of the season, four 200 yard rushers. A couple of times we've been absolutely gassed. Jared Goff on Thanksgiving. Empty, empty yards, but I just remember they had 361 yards passing or something. But Baker has a perfect record last week, which I don't understand perfect QBRs. I just know that that's pretty good. The Packers uh, came up from 31st to 30th in rushing yards at 138.8, but they're still having communication issues on the back end. It's been a widespread talk this this uh, this week, lack of anticipation of the running game, formation recognition issues. And I was asked yesterday, and I'll just real quickly get into this, like, where do you place blame on that? And, you know, for me, it's like, if it's basic install day one stuff, which I think Matt LaFleur said this was day one install stuff in his press conference, like why he's not firing Joe Barry. If it's true that it's day one install stuff, like, in other words, if 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 any be a reasonable person can sit there and go, we're not being, like, the, the water, uh, this isn't being fed through a fire hose. Like, there's we, can, we should be able to ingest all this information. And you're not getting it. Like, we got to ask yourself at an individual level, how much time are you spending watching film? Like Ray Lewis, I always go back to Ray Lewis, Peyton Manning, those guys. We watched film too, but they celebrated it. And it was they were more popular, so they were in the media more often. But the pros got, I mean, guys, they they watch tape all day. This is your job. So if you're and and I remember very specifically, if like an Aman and I used to talk about this, Aman and, and the running backs would come in on Fridays and they'd go through blitz pickup with us. Like we'd all watch tape together. Because if it doesn't matter if I know it. Like if I know it, but Chad doesn't know it, or if or Flanagan knows it, but Amon doesn't know it, doesn't matter. So this is a lot of this is on the players. We didn't need to be told to do that. We just did it. So a lot of this is on the players. You're professional athletes. You have to know the stuff. Now, if you're in a situation where you're continually being told to play eight yards off on a third and three, or if you're in a situation where you're continually um getting mixed signals or the language that we're using to describe the same formation or same play is different. Like in other words, if the DB room is speaking a different vernacular than the linebacker room. And so the communication is just something that they use for you know the word cover over here means under over there. And they're yelling two different things, which happens in, in NFL franchises, if believe it or not, like the way that people teach tackling is all different language, different concepts, for example. So the way that you teach, you're coming in and out of your breaks, the way you teach combo coverage, it could all be different. And we don't know if the communication issues are a function of like they're seeing something different or they're being taught something different. They're not all in the same room together. So you don't know. Ultimately, if guys are not fitting, making run fits, if guys are not tackling, if guys are not attacking the line of scrimmage when they're supposed to, and the coaches are allowing it or they're playing those players, and that's on the coaches as well. So there's there's plenty of kind of personal responsibility to go around. I think, I think for me though, as a player, it starts with you have to know your assignments and you have to be really good or at the but I just call it best of the basics of what you're supposed to be accomplishing. Now, if other people aren't doing their job, it is our responsibility to say, wait a second, this isn't right. You know, if you're in playing, you know, hey, David Carr was the backup quarterback in Carolina one season. He has to come in. Jake gets hurt. And everybody kind of, you know, the team goes, oh, we're going to lose this game now. So after the game, I rip everybody in, in the in the meeting. I rip everybody. And right in front of, you know, in front and said, hey, David, we got, we got your back. Well, Monday, Tuesday, everyone's in watching film. Everyone's trying to get better. That was a good football. Like that was a proud team that wanted to go to the playoffs. We had just been in the NFC Championship. David was nowhere to be found. 
Wednesday comes around, early meetings, David's out playing Xbox. Like, and so those kind of guys, like, you can't win with those guys, right? And you have to be able to go in there and, hey, if you're going to be our leader, if you're going to be contributing to this team, you're not going to be our leader. If you're going to be contributing to this team, then get your ass in the in the in the practice, or excuse me, get in, into the meeting rooms and let's and let's go through this stuff. Like, in other words, there's some policing that has to happen culturally with the with the players, but it also it also has to be ultimately decided on if you're playing, if you're not playing with that coaching staff. So the coaching staff has a responsibility, I guess, especially at the, at the position coach level to make sure you understand your basic assignments, that you are, are really good at the basic tenets of the positional requirements of your sport. And then everything beyond that, like that coach, you, you hope that coach is helping you, but ultimately like if, if you don't have a good coach or if you have a coach, that's not, that's not a priority to him then you better figure it out yourself because you're a pro. Something else came up. Uh, Packers' Devondre Campbell says he won't play hurt anymore, gets time off at practice. Posted on social media, he would no longer play hurt. Some time off practice, helps get his body back. He missed some games, he's battling through. Uh, somebody asked me about this yesterday. Look, the big thing here is can you contextually – it's not a great time to say it, obviously, but contextually you just assume that he's been playing hurt um, – feels underappreciated, feels like he's being criticized for for maybe not having the same year that he had two years ago. You know, certainly we've said it looks like he's reverted back to kind of the mean. But if he's playing injured, that's a whole different can of worms. And so contextually, you just have to understand that uh, these guys have these guys are very proud individuals, and maybe that's not the place to say it. Um, but the fact that he felt like he had to, the fact that nobody has his back and is like speaking up in the media or speaking up at the, from the team standpoint, like, hey, we really appreciate Devondre playing hurt. Like he's struggling out there. We know he's injured. Like that feeling that's happened to me, I can tell you firsthand, that's a very like toxic, depressing feeling to understand that you're doing the best you can and nobody's appreciating what you're doing. And you might be catching some flack in the media or you might be, you, you might like, you know, you're not playing what you should, uh, but you're catching flack for it. And you're like, dude, I'm doing everything I can to just get out there and perform like somebody get my back. That's what these players want. Like somebody get my back. And I think Matt got his back yesterday, but head coach Matt LaFleur about he's been struggling through and gave him some time off from practice yesterday. So hopefully that gets all squashed down. But this, the interesting thing about this sport, you know, I'm going off too far on this, but the interesting thing to me about, you know, football is from a, you know, the kind of the fan interaction. I don't really see sports as a fan because I, I was always playing. So this stuff is fun for me, but <clears throat> I'm always just trying to look at the film, like, how do I beat this guy? How, like, how does this all come together and work? This is an organism and all these, you know, 22 people on the field trying to make sure this play works or doesn't work. And emotionally, you know, not everybody cares about that. They just want to see, did the play work? Did Jordan Love throw the complete pass or not? It's not why he did it. Did he do it? But the complexity of this organization, the complexity of the 53-man locker room and the coaching staff and the personnel department, like how they all interact and the conversations that we don't see, the body language that we have passing through the hallway, the interactions we have with the training staff, what the training staff says to the coaching staff, like all those things, like there's, this is such a, this is why it's the, it's the best, um, you know, live action show you can watch every week because it's such a drama going through all this stuff and it's genuine all the time, whether you like it or not, whether you like the behavior or not, it's genuine and all these interactions and all these posturings and everything, like these are real people that feel something. And I know that we, we kind of put them on a different status sometimes, especially now with the salaries that they make, it's hard to, um, it's hard to relate, <clears throat> but the reality is this guy trying to do his job the best he can. He doesn't, he feels underappreciated. 
that's all it is. He just has a platform that everybody listens to where, you know, maybe if he worked at, uh, you know, down the street at, the, at Randall's grocery store, he wouldn't. So the last thing, Joe Barry's been a ton of talk about Joe Barry and the future with his team. Um, Here's another thing that's always interesting to me. Matt, Coach LaFleur said something to the effect of, uh, he was talking about Joe Burry and it should be fired. He said, well, if I thought that was the right thing to do, I would do it, obviously, which is a great answer. And then he, and then he said, you know, we, we have these. And I, I, th- I just talked about this. So I want to touch on it from a different standpoint. He said something to the effect of, and I'm misquoting here, but I'm trying to get it as close as I can. He said something to the effect of, well, we're having, we're having you know, basic, we're having basic issues. And if that was the case, like if, if it was, the, if it was because Matt said, or head coach, head coach LaFleur said, uh, there's nothing that our scheme can't fix when it comes to defense. And now it's, it would it sounds like, well, they're not executing the scheme, right? Like we have basic communications, run fits, tackling, et cetera. Well, some of that stuff you can't fix. You can't fix tackling. You can't fix poor run fits. I mean, you can fix it conceptually, but you can't fix it like, in real life without practicing it. And so in the NFL, this is just an interesting point that I, it's, it's always true. It's not, I shouldn't say it with a lot of teams. It's true with a lot of coaches this is how they, this is how they talk, right? You get in the back room after the game. I've been in both. Now I remember I've been in the coaching locker room and the players locker room when things are going well, right? All the coaches are in the back, like great call, man. That do you see that call I made on third and 12, man, what a call. Hey, great time for that flea flicker. Hey, when you had zero blitz, I mean, everyone's just patting each other on the back. When things are going bad, man, these players, it's it's on you guys. We gotta make gotta make this play. You know, gotta make these plays. And so it's it's always an interesting narrative depending on the outcome of the game. Instead of being like a process-based stoicism guy, you know, control what you can control. Oh, we're always just trying to do the right things all the time. And you, the guys that are doing it, I think, find sustained success. But this I it hit my ear weird when I heard that because I went, wait a second. That might be true, but you're also 10 yards off on a third and three. That's true as well. And I think he addressed both those things, but it's like where you put that in your story and how you just – all these things are issues. And I know you're giving, a, you're giving reasons why not to fire somebody, which we're not, we're not going to try to call for people's jobs here on the weekly basis here on the On My Block show. But this team doesn't have an owner, right? And so where does the – the pressure come to fire a coach to bench a player, for example, if a, guy, if a guy's not doing his job, I, I'm assuming the buck stops with Matt. And so if a guy, like if you think a guy's not doing his job, like I would rather lose with the bad athlete or the lesser athlete that's got all his shit together than the great athlete who's not putting in time. Like you can't win with the guy who's playing Halo on Wednesday morning. You can't win with him. You can't. And you can win with a guy who's lesser athlete, knows all his stuff, because that guy's actually on the same page as the coaching staff, like scheme works. So we're just going to execute the, whatever level he, that person's at. We're going to execute as, as well as he can, given the scheme that we have. I can win with that. Can't win with talent that doesn't want to work. And so I'm not saying make it a commentary on the Packers. You just have to understand when you're thinking about this from a fan's perspective, when organization thinks about this, when the locker room thinks about this, what exactly is it? that you identify as the issue. What do you suppose that is? Is it coaching? Is it players not being more brand aware now and less aware of like, we're going to try to be the best versions of ourselves on the field and that's all that matters. 
um, you just have to, you have to understand where you think the organization prioritizes that. And listen, it's easy to get down on these guys when they're six and eight, they lost two games in a row. But again, I always look at it like thematically, the same stuff has been happening for three, four years. You just had Aaron Rodgers to kind of wade through a lot of this stuff and, and gloss over it. And they have, I think they've made remarkable improvements at different positions, including the quarterback position, um, including the way that they've called plays to put players in a position to be successful on the offensive side. So it's not like this, this is a bad coaching staff. Or this not, it's, it's not like they're not evolving and, and, and continuing to improve. What I'm saying is when you look at this season in totality, I think as a head coach, you really have to go back without staff members, maybe your mentor, trusted advisor, your wife, whoever it is, and say, what is what is it I'm trying to accomplish with these players and coaches to keep from a communication standpoint, from a standard standpoint, right? How I'm structuring meetings, how I'm structuring practice, how I'm talking to everybody, the language I'm using, the expectations that I have, right? The culture that I'm breeding, not something on the wall. I said it yesterday on a show, like putting a standard as the standard on the wall doesn't do anything. What am I doing from an action standpoint, from a communication standpoint, to make sure that all my coaches understand the priorities that I have. And I think that it's always good to revisit that. I'm sure he's going to regardless, in regards to the season. But I think this season in particular, looking at what you have, the the youth, particularly on offense, and then the ineptitude of of, of performance versus talent on defense is something you got to think about. I've ranted long enough. Let's get into some tape. The Panthers' offense is bad. They average less than 15 points a game. They're 29th in the league. They average 270 yards per game. They're 30th in the league. And they average 106 rushing yards per game. They're 17th in the league. And Frank Reich, Braden, is great coaching staff. James Cabin's a good coach. Deuce Staley's a good coach. Um, they have, I mean, they're, it's all over. But for whatever reason, sometimes it doesn't work. And I think Frank was, you know, Frank got fired and then got hired. Like, you need a year, man. You got to figure this stuff out again. You got to, like, take a reset button. You can't just go into the next job. We talked about that when he got hired. Um. They haven't put Bryce Young, first pick in the draft. They haven't put him in, in, in positions to be successful. Uh, on tape, it looks like like Bryce is rattled early. It's easy to get in his head as far as like his feet get real happy. And you remember all the off-schedule plays on at Alabama, and you start going, okay, well, how much does he throw on time? He's been sacked 54 times this year. Carolina's given up 54 sacks. Um, but he also doesn't get through his reads at like what I would call an elite level. Like he can stay, like they'll do a lot of isolation stuff and he'll stay on that read. And if that read's not there, like getting back to the other side, as opposed to like getting back slower, getting happy feet and trying to escape the pocket. Like it's, it's, it's a work in progress. He had his best week against uh, the Falcons last week, arguably 18 for 24, 167 yards, zero touchdowns, zero picks, got sacked three times. Um, last year, like I said, Campin is a great coach and the offensive line, they picked up Iki Aquino in the first round. He was the first, first offensive lineman off the board in the last year's draft. He's taken a step back. Uh, Aiden Corbett's been, he came over from the Rams at right guard, great player, like very, very solid player. I should say he's been hurt. That's a problem. Taylor Moten, their right tackle has been good for a long time. Underrated player. I, I'm going to put him on tape because I think it's a big matchup. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where. Left guard's been a little bit of a, a, a turnstile. Bradley Bozeman secured the, the the center spot, but they're just not, you know, they're more of a downhill running. Like you look at him, you go, okay, that's probably a downhill running team. And they've done a lot of drop back, a lot of shotgun. So it's it just hasn't fit. Like the, the personnel didn't fit the offense that Frank wanted to run. I think as you look at this more and using Chuba Hubbard more, as you look at this, like, 
Bryce Young at this point in his career with the way he goes through progressions and whatnot, the timing of under center play action, downhill running schemes, like oh, I think that's going to help the quarterback move in the pocket a little bit more. I think it helps him. So let's take a look at this tape. As you guys know, I got to mess around with this a little bit. And here we go. So first thing, you got to establish run. I, I pointed out Bryce Young, and you see the bunch look on the bottom, and really they want to ISO. They want to try to ISO the guy up top to make the read easy for Bryce. This is a running play, but you're going to see a lot of three-by-one formations because of they want to make that real obvious at the top of the screen. So top of the numbers, all those different routes he can run. You see Chuba does a great job. Chuba Hubbard's a good running back. Miles Sanders is a good running back. They have two guys on their, on their, on their team that can flat-out run the football. Now, they, now James Camper being a good coach. <clears throat> they communicate this very well. They pick up the slant look. They're, the the Falcons are in their in their base defense, which is traditional three four, and they slant and they all get picked up. The wide receivers do just enough to get Chuba out the backside. I know that was a little sketchy there. RPO game. We're going to see this, okay? And this RPO, for example, is a true run pass option. We always talk about RPOs, and it's usually the quarterbacks pulling the ball and taking off. This is a true RPO. If this linebacker bites, they're going to run the slant. So you see he steps up in the pocket, or excuse me, steps up in the line of scrimmage. That space is vacated, and they just run to Thielen. Now, Thielen, Adam Thielen coming over from, from Minnesota. Everybody knows him. He's a great player. You know, he's I think he's the number two receiver on the white team versus the white, the white team versus the black guy team that's going across Twitter right now, allegedly. But uh, he's he's a good receiver, and he's his favorite target. Eyes go to him more often than not. They've got some other dudes on their team, but it's really who they're going to look at. Um, inconsistencies up front, and this is uh, this is Icky, and Icky's like a great athlete who just doesn't have technique. Uh, it doesn't understand leverage, and just get you know like this this kind of stuff happens way too often. I, I really look for Preston and, and Rashawn Gary to uh, to take advantage. This is Calais Campbell in like thirty. He's like fifty two years old. But he's six foot seven, three hundred and twenty pounds. Dude's an absolute unit, and just bulldozes Icky all the way back. You know, drives him back six, seven yards. Ends up making the play, making Chuba uh, dance around in, in the backfield early. And this stuff happens. It's like you know, we always talk about on defense, one player can make a play. Well, that one player can destroy one player on offense, and things go downhill. We see the backside here with eighty-two Tommy Tremble, and again, it's just a player here, player there. But he gets thrown out of the way. Again, the running back's got to cut back early, and they end up making plays at the line of scrimmage. And this is like they're a decent, they're, you know, 17th is like basically split down the middle as far as running games go. They're getting better, and they're going to start doing some more downhill stuff. Even if it's out of a pistol look, you're going to see more pistol. You're going to see more, more downhill runs, I think, this game just because the Packers have been so bad at it. So they're going to feature these looks. Again, same idea, bunch look, split out upfield. And these downhill looks allow for them to get the play action. And now when when Bryce turns back around, and I don't know why they do this. They run it to a – I mean, they run it both sides. But when he runs to the left, like he can't get the ball out of some of these passes as early as he wants. So really, the only play he has here is to the 41-yard line on the out. But they're going to do that a lot because it simplifies the game for it cuts the field in half. Now, when they want to run downhill, you see this in the pistol look. Like these guys are all about coming downhill. They've they've put some people in place that want to be physical. That it's been a rotating, uh, 
turnstile at, at left guard. Throckmorton was in there for a while. And now Cade Mays, who I believe was a rookie last year, is playing. And he's a physical player. Like, this this will be – if this is going to be a downhill game, like, these guys are about that life for sure. They're, they will come downhill and try, and try to punish you. Numbers matter in this game. If you bring the wide receiver in, now you have an extra blocker. So you've got seven blockers and a running back in a downhill formation. you got to have numbers. you got to match it with eight men in the box. If you don't match it with eight men in the box, I'm including the safety or corner overhang. You're going to get easy doubles here. You see the wide receiver insert on the backside safety. And Chuba's a good running back, guys. Like, Chuba can run. There's a lot of plays on this tape that Chuba makes out of nothing. What you have to get with Carolina is you have to make Carolina drive the length of the field. I know they had that big drive last week, but Carolina is a team that is going to make mistakes. They're going to make mental errors. They're going to make physical errors. They're going to have penalties. They're going to miss some throws on, on second and eight. This is basic stuff, and this is kind of what we talk about from a frustration standpoint all the time. The point of this, this is a, a left-handed play. you got to double to the, the first count in the box. The center has already made his point, and he's going to the linebacker in the A-gap between the center and the left guard. And uh, they brought in an extra lineman. Like, they're, it's go time. They're going to run the football, and they just go to the wrong guy. You know, left guard, left tackle, for whatever reason, have the wrong point. we got to run through. And Miles Sanders, you know, Miles Sanders is a good running back in Philly, and all of a sudden he comes over here and he can't quite get the same thing done. Why? It's like, well, because they don't sometimes they don't block for him very well. Defensive end comes off the edge here, and you see the footwork with Icky. He's as as good as an athlete is. He's really really tall. Feet are just kind of almost like he's dancing, you know, out there. His hands are outside, and Bryce Young feels this pressure early, and instead of just getting rid of the football right here, you can sit throw to the check down whatnot. It's a scramble drill. It's a it's a get me out of there drill. And so he always ends up kind of instead of just buying extra time in the pocket, it's like, how do I escape? How do I get at her? And again, 54 sacks, you don't blame him, but it's something the Packers can take advantage of. Same idea here. The players coming open backside. Linebacker's not going to be able to keep with him, keep up with the wide receiver on the in cut, but Bryce is gone. And there's not a lot of pressure. He's just gone. He feels a little bit and he's gone. So you have to figure out how you want to play Bryce from a, a spy standpoint or a rush lane standpoint. But I would say this, if you get up to level and bull rush, like we've been talking about Rashawn, Gary, and Preston all year, if you do that and he escapes, he'll make off-schedule plays, but I think his eyes don't always go downfield. Ends up taking a sack here for no reason. So these are the kind of plays I think if you're watching tape, you're getting, you know, there's some encouragement. Now, off schedule plays, not good for him. He isolates on the on the bot on the top side. So they go bunch again. And they isolate up top. That play is not open. And so off schedule, he's got to wait now. It doesn't, he doesn't snap back. So he's got to buy a lot of time. And he ends up making a big off schedule play, like he did at Bama, but he's on the run downfield so you have to have a plan when he escapes the pocket because he's going to as soon as he feels pressure and even though he's not a huge threat as a runner one would consider either spying him with a defensive tackle or spying him with the the linebacker because i would say that most of his good plays come off schedule they've got their own uh they've got their own Jaden reed slash debo samuel their number 11 uh Amir Smith-Marset from Kansas City in a trade. 
A lot of jet sweeps, end of rounds, screens. They want to get this guy the football in and around the line of scrimmage. I love this, this play concept. So they fake the reverse. He goes back the other way. You see the motion guy gets lost in the mix. They just flip him out the ball, ends up getting the first down. I think they're doing a good – I think Thomas Brown's a coordinator. I think they're doing a really good job now kind of – he's starting to put his own fingerprints all over this offense, so I like what he's doing. And we talked about it. They want to isolate and attack. They go trips left. They want to iso on the bottom because this is easy for Bryce Young to find. He's just playing throw and catch with his favorite receiver. That's it. And they're going to do that as often as possible. They want to isolate one and see if the, the coverage makes sense. If it's even close, they're going to throw him that football. That's where his eyes are going to go. So you got four on the bottom, empty. We're going to see a lot of empty looks after Baker last week. Like if they don't put Chuba and Miles Sanders out in, the, in, in routes, I'm going to be shocked. But they're going to go four by one, three by one, and they're going to try to ISO. Now you got Chuba at the bottom here. And listen, after this, he didn't throw this ball. But you see the separation Chuba got immediately when that corner sat. And that's a corner. That's not the linebacker walking out there. If they don't throw this up once during the game, they're fools. If they don't put Miles or Chuba out there and throw it up once during the game, they're fools. You got to expect that that's going to happen. Chuba ends up coming back. Again, that was an off-schedule play. He feels the pressure. He's moving around the pocket back to a la, you know, Alabama football. And the reason all, a lot of this is off-schedule is like <sighs> – this stuff right here, these routes are not good. So both of these routes are not pick routes, but we're going to run a drive up top and we're going to run an out underneath. Okay. And you have to already see that, you know, I can, everybody can see that on the bottom of the screen, based on what I just said, the best place to throw this football is to the quarterback's left because the linebacker is high and has inside leverage. So the flats open immediately. And up, up top, they go slow. They don't really try to push. And they don't separate on on uh, the, the, uh, the stick route. Now, he doesn't end up throwing this football. Both guys were open. The bottom, the bottom of the screen was wide open, and it was open immediately. But they're having those, they're having those issues. And so this is an opportunity for the Packers, because these guys want to run a lot of this short, the short, short, they're going to run goes or short routes. And like the deep crossers are, are there, but this is like with this wide receiver core, the speed that they don't really have, like all the things that are kind of going, they have DJ Chark, you know, they have um, like, I think, you know, they have uh, Jonathan Mingo and then Adam, Terrence Marshall Jr. Um, this isn't the number one wide receiver core in the National Football League. And if you're ever going to, again, get right, you know, take away some of that, you know, eight, 10 yard, 12 yard cushion, play up a little bit, play at the sticks, you know, play five yards off, be able to get your hands on a guy every once in a while, press him. Like this is, this is the week, especially with a quarterback who's going to move around a lot, especially the quarterback who feels pressure, especially a quarterback who's been sacked 54 times and doesn't get off his first read or first read very well. But he is the number one pick for a reason. He does have a lot of talent. He's been put in a difficult situation uh, for all the reasons we've stated before. And when you watch this, this is the last drive in, in Atlanta. There's just a couple of plays that he's going to make. Puts the ball in the basket. 
Really, really wet field. Can't tell now. It's pouring down there. And then he does a back shoulder here. I think this is uh, is this the Thielen or is this the DJ Chark? But he makes a back shoulder throw here. I mean, that's a big. That's just big time football. And so he's got the tools, right? Just like talk about work in progress with Jordan Love. You got the tools. You just got to keep keep refining. Panthers defense. It's these these numbers don't make sense. Okay, so they give up 25 points a game. That's 29th in the league. That is terrible. They give up 291.6 yards in the league. So good for third in the league. They're not giving up a lot of yards. You can just 54 sacks. You start thinking about turnovers. They're just putting disadvantageous situations. Maybe they haven't been very good in the red zone. They give up 118 yards rushing, 17th in the league. When they're in their base 34, look, it's a pretty good defense. Defensive football team. You know, they traded away Hassan Reddick last, last year, but Brian Burns is, is a really, really special player. Um, Derek Brown is, is coming into his zone. I saw Derek Brown handle Chris Lindstrom, the Atlanta Falcons stud right guard. It wasn't this game. Chris didn't play. The first game they played this this year, He, I mean, when I say he handled him, he handled him. Chris Lindstrom does not get handled very often. He got handled by Derek Brown, okay? That pains me to say is that I'm a big fan of Chris, obviously, and I'm an offensive lineman, but Derek Brown had a hell of a game. The, pack, the Packers are going to have to understand or make a decision. How do you want to attack this team? Do you want to attack them with Derek Brown being a 3-4 defensive tackle? That's playing a little bit more of a two-gap, but will move a little bit. Or do you want to be in a penetrating 4-3 nickel guy? Because for me, he's much better at the nickel when you're penetrating. When you get him on the move, Derek Brown's a really good player. You can take away a little of it. He plays a lot more leverage. He's still really good, but he's not as good or as effective in the backfield as a 3-4 guy. I think they play better for the most part. I think you're going to get better defense out of these guys. Sorry about that, guys. You're going to get better defense out of these guys as a defensive coordinator if they're in base. So I'm going to try to put them in nickel as often as possible because of that. But you got to be comfortable knowing that your right guard is going to be playing against a guy who, if we're rotating right guards and Derek Brown is arguably the best defensive lineman, well, you got to make some decisions right there. Now that that Zach Tom versus Brian Burns matchup, that's going to be interesting. Um, I really like Gross Matos. I really like Shai Tuttle. I think they can all play ball. Like I think this team's good up front. I like both their linebackers. I really, I really like Frankie LeVu is one of my favorite guys to watch. Um, but those zone looks in base, they'll play a lot of zone and base. And so they'll just they'll walk a linebacker out. And it's problematic, I think, in the passing game. I think they, they play a little bit better that way. They'll get into a penny look, we'll show a little bit. Penny's five down lineman, one, one linebacker. They don't do a good job of fitting up in the secondary. The 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 fit's always late. In other words, whoever's coming into the box. Is either they're fitting wrong or they're 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 coming in late. I think I show both on, on tape here. They're only giving up 173 yards per game, third in the league. Passing. Do you do a lot of um, single high stuff? They'll do some combo coverages, like they'll run six, they'll run quarters. Again, they I think they struggle to get the run fits a lot. Um, there's opportunities to hit the deep ball against this team. I think the safeties get their eyes in the backfield and watch the quarterback stop moving their feet sometimes. You see they get turned around a little bit on defense as well. And I'm talking about the third level. And so there's some opportunities to hit some deep things. We'll just have to see who's in, who's available for the Green Bay Packers who can actually run those routes. Let's check this tape out. Again, I it was unwatchable. I'm saying it was unwatchable. I'm talking about the, uh, the Atlanta tape. Now, I just put some first two in here because just to give you a, a, a taste of what I'm talking about. These guys play hard and they play, they play fast. The play speed is real. Okay, so they're running a screen out here. Linebacker beats both linemen. 
Defensive end sniffs it out. And then Brian Burns comes from the backside and ends up making this tackle on Kamara, you know, eight yards deep in the backfield. All right. And then what do they do? They do a good job of creating pressure with four. And they'll bring Frank LeBou from time to time. They'll bring some guys off the edge. But they rally. So you see that I, the reason I highlighted the safety was they flipped to a single high. They start off in like a quarters look over there. He went immediately popped to outside leverage to funnel him into the, the inside safety. Takes away that look for the, the quarterback. So he has to check the ball down. And these guys rally to the football. They play hard. They got five guys in the box before that guy hits the ground. They play, they play good football. Do you want to play in nickel or do you want to play in base? The, the, the Saints did a good job running the football, I think, in a lot of nickel looks. The Saints did a good job running the football, period, I suppose. But it really comes down to can you account for 0 and 95? And for, 49 to some extent. But at the first level, I think that right guard matchup is a big matchup with, with 95. You got to account for the left side of their defensive line. They're really talented players. And if you can do it, and you see they did with the split flow, they actually took the tight end on play side and tried to Brock Burns. And then they split flowed back and tried to chip him off with a wide receiver, right? They really want to run that guy through, but Brian Burns is so good. And, they, and he's, he's so, his football intelligence is, is very, very high. So he doesn't read plays wrong very often. But if you can get a hold of those guys and, and force the secondary guys to make tackles, you're in much better shape. You see Derek Brown here versus the right guard and just does a great job of coming back. He splits this double team, comes backside, ends up sitting down on this. You know, New Orleans Saints has an historically good offensive line, well coached. Derek Brown's just a, a, he's a really good player. You see it here again. Now he's in his base 3-4 look, but he takes an inside step and beats that tackle. Ends up making the play in the backfield. This is kind of what we're talking about. You got to take the wins. You see the safety covering the, the nickel corner on the 26-yard line on the top of the screen. When you see this, know that that safety is taking their slot receiver and that nickel's coming. Just take the gimme, right? This is one thing that Carr does really well, Derek Carr. Take the gimme. Those are the things that, you know, it's like, how do you stay, you know, stay on schedule, stay ahead of the sticks, take the gimmies, take the wins, put it into positions. So the, 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 uh, the bubble can run forward with the football. Now, this is a kind of a big deal to me. They're late to penny fronts. What that means is they got their five guys in here and they have some backups in. So take shots when you have backups, but you only got one linebacker and 21 is kind of, for me, late to fill this. And so what happens? Backside, that's where 21 should be. Maybe they're rocking and rolling with the motion, but they don't get down in time. A lot of runs come from not having that second guy in these penny looks. Here, they actually go to the wrong side. So this is the other one where 21 was down. They rock and roll with 25. They ended up getting a huge play. Excuse me, 24. Von Bell was down, and then they rock and rolled back. Motion creates chaos. We talked about it. The Green Bay Packers are a team that's really leaning into motion. I think they're top three in the league right now in the last three games as far as motion pre-snap. It creates confusion, creates chaos. You see Frank LeBou ends up going man coverage here, but the corner does the same. 
So the Saints get basically a free play on the edge. They pull two. And there's no linebacker to make the tackle at the line of scrimmage. So they end up getting a 20-yard gain. This guy is a threat in the run and pass. I think he's going to take the A-gap here. Ends up flushing the quarterback. I love his timing. I love his explosiveness. And now you see, now the, on tape, he's run right through these guards. So these guards are sitting down on it and just, he just okey-dokes them inside move, easy, sack. He's doing it. Once a game, he's affecting the quarterback with the rush. And if you go back and watch the original Atlanta game, he runs right through the guard. I mean, runs right over him. I think I put it on tape. Runs right through him. And then the next play goes, you know, head faints and goes right around him. So he's a guy that, oh, he's he's like a, uh, well, he's like a Lance Briggs. He's Lance Briggs from the guys who remember the old Chicago teams. He's a guy that can, who can hurt you in the passing game as a, as a rush linebacker as well from the, from the middle of the field. Now you got to take your shots with this team. See down here at the bottom of the screen, you got outside leverage by the corner. And you see the safety is looking at this inside receiver who's going to run a deep cross or a dig route. I can't tell from here, but anyway, he's, he's going to run an in-cut route. And they're leaving this corner by himself. And this safety gets all the way turned around. And now all that space for the receiver to throw. And again, you can just kind of close your eyes and picture Christian Watson with all that, that room to run. We just have to throw the ball into space. He can run underneath it. You look at this base look again and watch Brian Burns here. Excuse me. This is what, you know, we talked about for the Green Bay Packers and, and you talk about run fits and you talk about um, kind of being good at the basic stuff. So this is their base 3-4 defense. And this is how you add a safety to the run fit. This is, I mean, this is what, this is what good looks like. Okay, safety comes in, same foot, same shoulders. The wide receiver is trying to crack on him. Every gap is taken. Every player is, is every player is here is, is uh, accounted for. So all the gaps, you go from outside in, uh, right to left. D, C, B, A, A, B, C, D. Every gap is accounted for. Frank LeVu is beating the, the, the center. He's a free player. 54 is a free player to that gap. 96, a free player to the A. Derek Brown's chasing. I mean, this is clinic tape of what you want it to look like. Same foot, same shoulder, 25 on the crack block. Ends up making the play, right, for a two- or three-yard gain. And under center play action here, Burns finds – oh, this isn't play action, sorry. Under center, but Burns finds a way to be effective. So if you're trying – I know I went back to the Atlanta tip. I'm show you a couple plays, and it's but you can't watch more than a couple, trust me. But Burns on these plays – he for some reason he knows that this isn't uh a keeper he plays so fast he plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage he's disruptive now when it is a keeper he seems to sniff that out as well okay so if you are going to run keepers you got to put a guy in the backfield that you see this fullback takes a step and then comes back this isn't burns by the way but because those guys chase so hard, you got to be able to take out that edge. And now you're going to have, you know, that backside guy having to chase the safety. The safety's having to chase that. In this case, Kyle Pitts, backside tight end. That safety has to chase him down and cover ground. And you're going to be able to get these, you know, relatively easy completions. 
But this is just, you know, if this is flat out just a good attacking defense, you see the linebackers playing on the other side of the line of scrimmage, you see the safety coming down hard and attacking the wide receiver and just making a lot of plays. So I'll, I'll show this play from the end zone. And you watch 54 here. Because he shoots and takes that tight end, occupies that tight end, and now because 24 is coming down so hard and, and the fullback's looking at him, 97 Gross Matos, who's a good player, is another good player on this team, ends up getting the, the rodeo tackle here at the end. So for me, like this is a this is a legitimately good. This is a legitimately good football team on defense. They're struggling on offense. This is a good football team on defense. Let's talk matchups. Number one, Preston Smith and uh, Rashawn Gary gets the Packers OTs. I think Taylor Moten's a really good player. I think he's really underrated. I've liked him since day one. He's a leader on this team. Fundamentally, he's very sound. It'll be a good matchup with him and Rashawn Gary. I just think he's a very, very strong player. Um, Icky's a superior athlete lacking technical work, and he's not, he doesn't play grounded, which means he doesn't have a great relationship with the ground right now. And Bryce Young feels pressure early, so you're going to get him heated up if uh, – if we can we can bull rush, if we can inside move, all these things are kind of available, especially on that left side. Uh, if if Icky's having a a bad technical day, uh, usually the second guy gets home with Bryce. Usually, when you're watching a lot of this stuff and like uh, there's a sack or there's you know a heavy pressure knockdown, it's the second guy. He feels the first guy escapes second guy because it does eyes don't necessarily go down as fast as some other quarterbacks who are maybe more mature in this league. I think I think this is just a matchup to watch. And if you get there, you, you, you have to be relentless. The second guy is going to make a play. Number two, the Packers right guard, whoever it may be, versus Derek Brown. And I, I, I said it before, Chris Limson is one of the best in the game. He had a really good game against Chris. Um, I've watched a number of – I watch the Panthers all the time. This is a very, very good player. And if, if this turns into a uh, – a tryout at right guard and they're going to rotate guys around and there's not rhythm. And we're, you know, you better get a lot, a lot of teams in there if that's the case, because I, I think Derek is a really, really good player that he's going to have that handful of plays that, that could impact the game. He's not in every down. Like he's not going to get you every time. Like he's, he's not that guy. He's not John Randall. Okay. But he will be really explosive for two or three plays in a row. And, and if you don't have your chin strap buckled up real tight, it's a problem. And then the third one, you know, just because it's the theme of the week, Joe Barry versus Thomas Brown. You know, ever since Frank Wright was fired, Thomas has a little more say. I mean, you got to remember, Thomas was hired. Then Frank took over the play calling duties and he gave him back. Then he took him back. And it was this whole drama down there. And so he's doing a better job of creating his own offense. He's using the RPO game. He's moving towards kind of a more of a downhill under center pistol looks to, I think, help this offensive line, but also help this quarterback. Highlights play action pass a little bit more. So how do we turn this into a third down drop back passing game? That's what you want out of Bryce Young. You want him to try to get to his second, third, fourth read. You want to keep him in the pocket. Like he's not as comfortable there. So how do we get there? You have to be able to stop the under center run, the pistol run, and the under center play action pass early. Be a good chess match there. Do you want to bring extra? Do you want to crowd the box? Do you want to put it all on Bryce Young and play single safety the entire time? The answer for me is yes, but then they might spread them out and go empty like they did last week and Baker look like a genius. Keys to victory, stopping the run. Packers can play a physical brand of football, and the key 
for me is creating one-on-ones. Now I'm talking about our defense. One-on-ones at the line of scrimmage with either Icky or really their tight ends. But you want to create one-on-one opportunities, and that means you have to be attacking at the line of scrimmage when you get your run keys. And whatever, if you're the linebacker, you know, you find the guy who's given up the information all the time. There's always a player on the offensive line these days that's giving up intel. Like, is it a keeper? Is it a is he downhill running? Like by his stance, by his demeanor, where his eyes go, you got to find it and find it early if you don't have it on tape already. Um, explosive plays, number two. I think this defense is good enough to kind of grind you down physically. Like if you give them a sense that that you can't run the football, if you give them a sense that you can't do it, if you get Brian Burns jumping around and getting excited, Derek Brown celebrating, Frank LeVue rushing the passer and and making plays in Carolina, you get the crowd behind. If the crowd stays past the second quarter, like you got to, it's a, it's a good defense. So they have different difference makers at key positions. And when you have that, the Packers have to exploit some of those rotations that we looked at from the secondary, some of the eyes in the backfield. Like, you have opportunities for big plays. There's opportunities on keepers for big plays if you can take care of the defensive end. You have to take advantage this week and really get some explosive, get some easy yards. Like, you just need a couple chunk yards. You don't want to grind it out for, for you know, it's five yards at a time versus this team. And the third thing is just take the gimmies. Offensive and defensively, this is a two-win football team. The Packers roster from top to bottom is better. The offense is much better. So our offense you know, should be able to put 20 points up against this defense, and there's no way that this Carolina Panthers offense should score more than their season average of 14.7 points against our, our defense. There's just – guys, there's just no way that should happen because they just don't have – they just don't have the togetherness at this point, Okay. I'm not saying they don't have the talent. I'm just saying they're not there. They don't understand what their playbook is yet. So roster to roster, you got to go with the better team here. That's why the Packers are a five-point favorite. This is going to be a good game. Now, I do have some questions from uh, some listeners. I want to get to a couple of them. I know I haven't left myself a lot of time. Um, How much of the defensive woes percentage-wise do you believe is coaching versus player versus scheme? We talked about that already. I think it's it's hard to put a percentage on it. Hi, Mike. How do you grade Walker's progress at left tackle? Arguably the most critical player for Love's improvement. Okay, so um, I will say this. I said this yesterday on the show. Jenkins, Zach Tom, that's what you're building your offensive line around. You have to make a decision on are you prioritizing – do you think that – Josh Myers has played well enough that he's your center for the next seven years. And I want you to look at it from a seven-year. Centers can be around for a long time. So rest of this contract, next contract. Is he the guy? Is he pointed in the direction from a communication standpoint? He's certainly playing better than he was at the beginning of the season. Is he, is he the guy that, that you want to lead this offensive line into the end of the 2020s? If the answer is yes, I think you go get a high price. Uh, left tackle because David Bakhtiari is not going to be here anymore. And I, for me, it's a premium position on a, a team with a young quarterback that you're trying to develop that allows you to do so many different things. 
And I want a guy that can, that, you know, I, you, and there's not a lot of them, but you want a guy that's, you know, just as good in the run game as he is in the pass. And there's not a lot of them. So if it's a draft guy, if it's a trade guy, I, I at least look at that. And it's not that Rasheed Walker's not done a, a, a job. I just, I think you have to have standout players at certain positions. And for us, it could be Zach. Zach Tom could turn into just an absolute standout right tackle. And maybe that's all we need. Maybe that's the guy. Elgin Jenkins is, is more than a solid left guard. I just don't – I still don't see who that guy on this team is that's like a physically dominant, demeanor-dominant guy. And if it's – it's got to be – those two are here. Now it's got to be the center. It's got to be the left tackle. you got to make a decision. And, again, they might both be in the room, and we're just waiting for them to develop. And you have to be there every day and see what's going on in order to understand that. Like what you see on game day is just part of the uh, part of the story. So I, it's a good question, but I, I don't – I think he's played much better. I think progress is is there. It's 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 tangible. But um, I really like. I always really like. Uh, I like to have a, a a guy who's a demeanor guy somewhere, and if it can be your like it's Trent Williams, it can be your it can, if it can be your best player too. That's not a that that that's not a bad thing. Uh. Which Panthers players do the Packers need to game plan for both O and D? I think I, I, I hit that. You know, uh, the, one of the guys was talking about uh, Rashawn Gary last last night. And my thing with Rashawn is um, he's such a good player. And I think with – he's got everything you want. He's homegrown. He works his ass off. You could tell he just works. He's quiet. He doesn't cause any trouble. He's a good locker room guy. He's everything you want, and he's productive. I, I've said this a million times. If you if you get him to rush, if you if you help him out with some tips on rushing, as far as like quarterback leverage and, and understanding like where where to stop going upfield and all that stuff, you're going to be that much more effective, and you're going to have probably five more sacks a year. I mean, because I think he's that kind of talent. But when you start thinking about you know, is a guy worth it? Is a guy not worth it? You, you use any player. It's what are you going to do instead? What's your neck? What's your, like, are you going to find a guy for a hundred million dollars? It's as good as he is. I like, I don't think so. You know? And then it goes with like Lucas Van Ness. Lucas Van Ness is a 13th pick in the draft. And, and you know, see, people said, why do you, why are we surprised by that pick? Well, because if I list the, the last five or six or seven, 13 picks in the draft, they're all day one starters. They're all kind of even if they don't have numbers, they're they're um, if they're defensive guys like like uh, Deron Payne's one of those guys, Hassan Reddick's one of those guys, uh, Laramie Tunzel was one of those guys, offensive left tackle, arguably the best you know best pass blocking left tackle in the league. So those guys are all day one players, and so when you have that guy, it has nothing. It's not a it's not a narrative on his his ceiling. It's just like would you pick a guy at that at that at that premium pick? I feel like you you have to get day one production. And I don't count that. I'm counting that more, maybe more as like snaps and experience. Like here's a guy who is playing, going to play behind Rashad and Preston when he comes in. And, or, you know, if you move him to a D tackle position, he's play behind Kenny. Like there's nowhere where he can start on the team on day one. That was my, I guess, 
head scratching moment. It has nothing to do with his ability. It has more to do with like fit wise, who can come in today and just be a dog for the next 10 years. Right now he could be, you know, maybe year three, he's like, you know, I was bringing him up to Aaron Cam in Iowa. Maybe he turns into Aaron Cam and you're like, oh my God, like this guy's Packers Hall of Famer. It's unbelievable. And hopefully that's the case. Right. But again, at that pick, Aaron was like a fifth round pick. Right. So, Anyway, this will be a good game this weekend. Uh, unfortunately, it's going to probably be five points is probably spot on. And, uh, you know, I, what you would like to see is a get-right game for the Green Bay Packers. I think that's the biggest thing. You watch this, it, when, you, when you watch this stuff with us on tape here, I think it's obvious that um, they're still trying to find their identity on the offensive side of football. I, I really – I do like their defense, but it's not like they don't give up plays. And so th there is an opportunity here for Green Bay. To, it's a get right game for sure. So guys, enjoy the, enjoy the week. If you're enjoying the show, please hit that subscribe button, like, rate, and review us. Um, I know I ranted at the beginning, but it's Christmas time. That's what we do, right? Have a good weekend, guys. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.